Welcome to the intersection of theater and even more theater. You have achieved stage grok. Theater podcast coming to you from the Geographic Center of the American Theater. I'm your host, Scott Miller. Today I talk with lyricist and book writer Greg Cotis here in St. Louis about his shows You're in Town and Yeast Nation. Thanks for talking to me today. Um, I want to start by talking about You're in Town, which I, I guess we could say it's iconic. Can we say it's iconic? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, perhaps. perhaps. Uh, so, so there's been a lot written about the, the genesis of You're in Town, I, I guess what I'm curious about is the reaction to You're in Town. Were you... Because <laughs> it's such a crazy idea for a show and executed so crazily. Did you, Were you surprised at the success? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, anyone who's written a show or worked on a show, you, you I think your relationship to it is, is tormented in that <laughs> you want people to love it the way that you love it. But you can't help but brace for like the rejection, which nine times out of ten, that's what the experience of putting a show up is. It's yeah. like it, it doesn't work, or it doesn't work for people the way that you want it to. So, I guess I kind of felt like, I, well, I wasn't sure. I mean, did you get any like negative or mixed reviews? Like it seems like what I read was all positive. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we did it first at the Fringe Festival, oh, so right, that right. was the first time that we were presenting it to. Um, a paying audience. Was that full version? Uh, it yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was. You know, eighty ninety percent intact of what went to um, to Broadway. There were two numbers that we didn't have at the time, but that was I think the first our first show at the Fringe Festival was the first time that I understood. Oh wow, this is this is really. This works, and people are really people are laughing, and yeah, and that they were engaged in a way that was really exciting, and you know, you, you as the writer, you you go down into your laboratory and you build your Frankenstein monster, and you love it, um, but you don't know how people are how the how people are going to respond to it. I mean, right. like we did a uh, a run through, sort of like a, a, a like an invited dress, in you know, we rehearsed the show for the most part in the basement of a church where Mark played or, as an organist. So we were, we were really fortunate to have this space in New York City, which is really hard to come by. Yeah. Um, and we did it for like a couple of friends. And the looks on their, on their faces were, for the most part, kind of mortified. Like, <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> you know how like you do something and then you can see people... That it's, it's almost like a wake. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry that you... I'm so sorry that you did this. I mean, what they were saying was polite and supportive, but the energy was like, "Oh, Jesus, this is, this is a disaster." So, so was it them not responding to it, or them thinking no one else would respond to it? I think it was them not responding to it. I All think right. them, and and it was granted, it was in a basement. We right, were still right. rehearsing. Right. 
it still wasn't, you know, we were still figuring stuff out. But that, did, did, had you already found that style, that tone? Well, was that, was that from the beginning or not? Yeah, I think, you know, um, the style comes, there are two, I, the way I think of it, for, from my part, for, for my work, there are two uh, artistic parents or aesthetic parents to the show. One is this company, Card of Giant, in Chicago that I, Mark and I both, performed and wrote for um, in the late 80s and early 90s. So that style was very, like, if you went to go see a Card of Giant show, you would you, you would recognize that you're in town as a Card of Giant show. Right, right. It's that, that right. kind of aesthetic. And then the other aesthetic is the, um, just the, the more cerebral kind of notions that the neo-futurists have in terms of... I love the neo-futurists. So, and that's really present in the script too. Not, not in an orthodox way, like if a, you know, the neo-futurists would probably look at you're in town and they would say, yeah, it's not really a neo-futurist show because you're not ever really just human beings on the stage or characters deconstructing what you're doing. But still, those ideas are present. So those two parents, you know, our aesthetic parents, um, well, can, can we also say three penny? Uh, yes, although that was, I think, more in from from Mark's work. Mark was, you know, when we were working on it, I think he understood. Oh, this is like a Brecht file show. That's what this is. It's about class. It's about revolution. It's about corruption right. and right. all the things that Brecht and Vile were writing about. So I think he understood. Oh, this is how it should sound. Right. Um, so I think that's that. He he really brought that in. So yes, yeah, yeah, on the on the music department for sure. Because um, now, after I've I worked on Year in Town in '07, since then I've worked on Three Penny, and it really was kind of remarkable how clear a descendant yeah. <laughs> Year in Town is. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I think Mark is a real student of all those you know of musical theater styles and of Brecht yeah. as a part of that. So yeah. I think he enlisted what he knew about it and the sound and the Weimar feel. And also, I think, um, you know, as we developed it, just prior to beginning work on it, I had traveled to Romania, um, and we did, it's really grim, it was really grim there in 1995, and like the, the, um, the, like the shadow of like, I think it was the Securitate, just like this, this oppressive police state was still present, and physically, you know, it was in Transylvania, which is has German um, roots. It's it's which is another long story. But anyway, <laughs> I was really thinking a lot about the Holocaust, about you know um, the presence of fascism in Europe and all that stuff. So that was sort of on my mind, and I think that also sort of uh, Mark and I would talk about how. Town should be kind of like a mashup of Gangland Chicago and the Warsaw Ghetto. So I think that's, again, where nice. Vile and Brecht comes in. <laughs> what a crazy pairing. Yeah. Uh, so I want to ask you about a structural thing. When we worked on the show with New Line, one of the things that amused us no end was that you put two showstoppers in a row in Act 2. Mm. And, and we were always curious if that was a comic fuck you to the actors. Because <laughs> it just killed them to have these two showstoppers in a row. But it was exciting theater. Um, so is that Snuff, is it, Snuff That Girl and, and Run, Freedom, Run? Yeah, yeah. Well, Run, Freedom, Run had been in the show since the Fringe Festival. 
um, in the song spot where Snuff That Girl was, we had this very small, kind of sweet, kind of Irish, <laughs> mournful song called Old So-and-So. <laughs> where it was just the poor were remembering Old So-and-So, right, yeah. which is the character that's referenced yeah. in the very beginning and is sort of purposely anonymous and like who was he right and that was the lyric the lyric of the song was uh oh so and so we hardly knew you so and so also and so who was you so and so that's essentially that's the whole thing and i think um, i forget the genesis of the song i want to say oh, stuff that girl yeah I, it, it, it was developed as we were making our way to off-Broadway. So it was while we were in rehearsal getting ready for off-Broadway. Somewhere somewhere in that area. I think we did a reading of it. Anyway, it was before, it was after the Fringe and before the commercial run the, uh, began. And I believe um, the choreographer, John Carafa, I think he worked with Mark to say, hey, we need to have something more up up here. Maybe Randall was involved with that too. And I remember thinking, well, we, we have, just to answer your point, we ha- I was like, well, we have, we have f- f- Run Freedom Run. Won't having two like high-energy, up-tempo numbers back-to-back, won't that, won't one take away from the other? And they're like, no, 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 it's going to be, it's actually going to be better. It's going to be more fueled with fire, which just turned out to be totally true. So Well, and also, the, the very existence of those two together is funny because that never happens. Mm. Yeah. Like you finish the big showstopper, you never expect the next song to be another showstopper and then it's another showstopper and that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, structurally, I can't, I mean... Um, so it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> well, it, it, uh, it was... It's, sort I don't, of on purpose. I don't... I can't say if it was commentary on how showstoppers are usually placed. I think it was more about just the showman, the potential for greater showmanship to have right. two up-tempo things back-to-back. And I think he wanted something that They're was really... like, great showstoppers. Yeah. And I think Carafa wanted something really dancey. Yeah. So, and that's that's what it was. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was... Yeah, that just... It's a really... That's a really joyful... Corridor, you know, yeah. where you'd always... No matter what... For the most part, no matter how the show is going, you know that if you can just if you can just get there, you'll be all right. Yeah. All right. Well, so I want to talk about writing process. <clears throat> so, uh, for you and Mark, mm-hmm. how how do you start? Do, do you have discussions first? Do you do an outline? How do you start? Um, we ha- we might discuss a little bit, and then if I get enough encouragement from how Mark is responding. Then I'll go in. I'll try to write. I write up enough so that we have a sense of what the show is. Um, uh, just dialogue. Or yeah, I, I think you know we'll have an outline of sort of like a murky sense of where the story will go. Um, I will have as many scenes as I can come up with, and so with like for Yerntown, um, I think I had like I don't know two thirds of the show written, something like that, and maybe some outlines of like, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. I don't know how that happens yet. Um, just enough for us to get a sense of it. And also, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in 
um, songs have to really carry narrative weight. They have to they have to move move the story forward. Something has to happen. Yeah, and that there's narrative um, uh, work being done, and it's just to stand alone and listen to a character emote. I don't know. It's it's it's. It. I mean, of course, it works. But it's yeah. like that's not that's that's not where the majority of my head is when right. trying to sort of. Uh, well, I feel like the really great musicals. If you take the songs out, you lose half the story. Right. And yeah, yeah, good yeah. musicals, you could take the songs out and not lose any story. <laughs> yeah. Well, so in the in the so just as a matter of process, the purpose of like writing these scenes out is you write them out knowing that they're all going to be sort of smushed into a musical a, a, a song, and also it, the. It's a it's a way of searching, of teasing out character and teasing out the relationship in search of what they want to sing about. Right. So in there could be a lyric hook. In there could be just sort of an emotional sort of home base something um, that when I when I'm writing a scene, what in the back of my mind I'm thinking, where's the song in the scene? Where how does the energy lift up to a place where music can happen? Um, and so yeah, I mean, like with with here in town, we just kind of worked scene by scene. Like we we do you work in the same room together? And so sometimes yeah, we'll do both. You know, sometimes Mark will come in with um, a f- fully formed song. Sometimes it's just us batting ideas back and forth and trying to kind of you know, work around what we think it is, and often what we think it is isn't what it should be. Um, you know, sometimes I'll come in and I'll think, I think I know what this song should be. And I might have written a monologue for a character and then Mark would take that and try to consider whether or not it is what it, the song is where I think it should be or he thinks it's some, it should be something else. Do, do you sometimes create a song standing there at the piano? Yeah. Like the two of you? Yeah, I mean... Because I think that's like mainly how Cantor and Ed worked. He, Mark will, um, I'm speaking a lot for Mark. Mark, Mark, one thing that I've seen him do is he plays these, what sound to me like these dissonant chords. Maybe this is a process that you know. It's like he had to explain to me. So, and what he's listening for is overtones and how the overtones are reacting, relating to each other. And that kind of unlocks um, a, a song for him, like a mel- melodic shape. Really cool. Um, so, and to me, it's kind of excruciating. It's like, a, it's like <laughs> fingernails on the blackboard. But what emerges is usually tuneful, memorable, really spot-on uh, melodic phrase. It's like, okay, that's it. That's our song. Do you know, uh, does he always write at the piano? No. I've seen him, you know, we've, uh, um, like in Yeast Nation, um, I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, but we were, we, we were working on the show and, and in the, in the, um, in the, uh, in the process, I'm not sure if we wrote it for the Juno production, the Juno was the first production, or it came later, but we used to have, um, used to have a song for the, the two lovers called There's a New World. And some of those lyrics kind of still remain. The like, phrase is still in the yeah, show. Yeah, the phrase. But there was this song called There's a New World Here Between Us. And it was just about how they've come together and they now that they've created 
love is beginning now. That's that's their new universe, and it wasn't working, and it wasn't. We didn't know what it was, what, what the problem was, and I think we left either a, a rehearsal process or maybe we just left the production completely, and we're flying back to um, uh, New York, and we were at the Seattle airport, and I think we that's where we came up with. Um, I'll change the world around her, which is sort of the rocking first act kind of launch to the the, real... the I want song. Yeah, exactly. Sort of a, in in the traditional sense, it, it it does that. But the, the sh- in productions that I've seen, that's where like the show kind of takes off. So we gotta kind of hold on and hope the audience stays with us until we get there. Um, but yeah, I think he I think he just took out a piece of paper and made staff lines yeah and he just he wrote it there I think nice. he just I think he can do that so he can write it in his head okay so um, I want to talk about East Nation and writing process so how different was the first East Nation from the East Nation we're doing right now I think the score is a lot different different songs yeah or different sort of versions of the same song okay. it's, it's it it begins Essentially, it was what we wanted to do is we wanted there to be sort of a tipping point where rock took over from like an older sound, like either a pentatonic sound or a gothic sound, or right. sort of an older, dustier sound that's still present in the score. But I think the big change is that we've just moved up the rock sound to a lot earlier. Um, I think You Are My Children, it kind of rocks a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, so that's where it begins, and then with um, uh, 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 Burning Soul, that's kind of a disco kind of thing, and then with um, I'll Change the World Around Her, then we're, we're all in for rock. So I think the sound of the show is a lot different. The sound is more contemporary, more pop, more rock. Um, so that's, how, that's, a, that's the biggest, most obvious change. And, and I, I think I've said this to you, but I, that makes so much sense to me because the emotions are so giant, yeah, so intense, and we do we need that rock and roll for the emotional content. Yeah, yeah, and it's like lo- young lovers who blow up their world because of their romance, you right? Know? And, so that's and a, rebellion and all that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a rock show. I think the other big, there are probably lots of little changes that. I've forgotten about, but one big change is the ending. We end on this sort of, um, what's that who number? Like Baba. There's, anyway, we, we end in sort of like an arena rock, um, uh, anthemic rock anthem number that's uplifting. And so I think before, I think we ended on a much more darker, (laughs) pessimistic (laughs) note. (laughs) So that's sort of our thing. It's like um, up tempo, happy number with a dark. Yeah, um, that's the fun part. Point of view in it, yeah. So, so uh, uh, the production we're doing right now is the eighth production, I think. Um, what What's it been like to see the different productions? How different have they been? Um, in this case, you're just coming in to see us. You've had no participation in this production. Is that usually the case with this? Uh, well. In the first few productions, I was intimately sort of in it, um, and uh, you know, it's it's 
life took over and I would have pushed in forever if not for other projects and other both domestic and professional duties. So I was like, okay, I guess it's had its life. Um, and then recently, uh, and New Line is part of this, there's been a number of companies that have somehow gotten word of this, wanted to do it, um, and we're, we're, we're licensing productions. And what's great about it, from my point of view, is like I, I have no, not no emotional, but I don't have the same emotional sort of um, life or death commitment to the production. I can be a little bit, um, I can stand back a little bit, which is going to help me understand the show better. So we still can, you know, our hope, like every musical theater writing team's hope, is that one day their show, no matter how crazy, one show, the show will one day um, play on Broadway or have, have a high-profile, definitive production. So this process is just, I feel like this is, um, these are all steps along the way to that happening right. in, my, in my imagination. And that may never happen, but so to see what you've done, to see what New Line has done, see what all the actors have done is, is really useful to me because I can see it, it will highlight the weaknesses of the material. It will highlight um, the strength of the material. It'll highlight, you know, um, it's a, it's a, it, it allows me to see what actors and directors and your creative team have decisions that you've made. You know, every, every show is... Uh, you know, 500,000 indistinct decisions have been yeah. made. So it allows me to, to um, comprehend a little more coolly how the show works when you do X, Y, Z. When you, you know, when you have a more um, literal sort right. of physical production yeah. um, versus uh, something that is um, more figurative or more suggestive. Uh, so that's all really useful to me to, to help understand the material. And also, I mean, these are our these are our children. We want to see them. It's it's a joy to see them in production. How cool is it that we've got a bunch of theaters around the country that want to do this kind of show? <laughs> like that wasn't true ten years ago. It's really interesting. I mean, there is the, and I think all you guys, you know, it was uh, uh, there's this company in San Francisco called Ray of Light. Yeah. So they do this kind of work. Um, there is the, you know, the company in, in Chicago that did it. I, I directed a production at the French Festival, um, and then these high schools have done it. And, and a high school is, another high school in Massachusetts is going to do Urinetown and Yeast Nation in rep. Is, <laughs> That's awesome! Which is something that I've always wanted, because we designed, when we were working on it, we are like, let's, let's make it so that a... One day we'll have like a ring cycle kind of right. <laughs> three part thing. So we'll have Yeast Nation is the first part, Urinetown is the second part, and the third part is something that we've been meaning to write for twenty years. We just haven't gotten around. Do you have any ideas for it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. I have. So so like at some point we'll get a close to the trilogy. Yeah. Well, on my <laughs> deathbed, probably be like. Because <laughs> so. we realize the the parallel yeah. title structure. Yes. Yeah, and so we figured, what's the third one? Something 
galaxy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be. I think it's gonna. It's gonna involve the end of our species. So. Oh, perfect. Somehow. So tell tell the story from the beginning to the end, yes. literally. Yeah, the end of, the end of <laughs> probably maybe the end of life on all in 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 the universe for all time. Um, I guess I, I guess you gotta go big. When you go, you gotta go, 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 go big or go home. Um, so yeah, I think there is, you know, um, with Urinetown, there have been like at last count, and this is a while ago now, there were like three thousand <gasps> productions that have happened since the show was licensed just through MTI. So that doesn't include that must feel amazing for you that all these people wanted to work on it. Got to work on it. All these audiences got to see it. How cool is that? It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and it is, I mean, the fun of theater is that it's every show, every production is distinct. And, um, you know, the, I, I went, there was a company in Mexico that did it recently, a year ago. And they, they said, well, you, if, we get, if we bring you here, you would come and spend time with us. And that was an amazing experience to see um, you know, particularly with our political moment where we're, you know, you know, the, 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 the really sort of terrible forces of um, unnecessary hostility are being unleashed. It was really interesting to go down and to see this country that we're supposed to be hostile towards all of a sudden. Right. Um, and to see what they do with the material and what the material means to them. You know, there was a production that I saw in South Korea, which was really interesting in that um, this was maybe in 2003 or four, or in that neighborhood, and South Korea had a, um, a history in living memory, in really close memory, of student protests that took over the city and where cops came and cracked down, brutally cracked down on student protesters um, in ways that don't have, I mean, our only equivalent would be like Kent State, something like that. Um, And so at the Act 1 finale where Bobby Strong began singing, the mood was totally different. It was like very kind of, it was really bracing. It was sort of, it was a lot closer to Les Mis than to, you know, to, to a dark comedy. Yeah. So, and that was interesting to see that. There was a production in Berlin that we saw that was, you know, there are a lot of ghosts in Berlin and like the um, the connection to um, preoccupation with like the the bloodbath of World War Two is sort of present in your time a little bit too. So, yeah, it is, it is a, you know, it is, it is, um, it's, a, it's, it's great. It's great when a show can have uh, this kind of long life and that, that can sort of enter into the... Uh, it's one of those shows that is done, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about it today. It, it opened on Broadway 17 years ago. That's a yep. long time ago. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I want to ask one last question, which I ask every theater person I talk to. Do you think we're in a new golden age of musical theater? I would think, yeah. I mean, I really do. <laughs> there's like when and when you're in town was ha- was happening. So that was my introduction to like sort of commercial. I I think you're in town is one of the turning points. I I think it was Bat Boy, you're in town, uh, noise funk, Violet, 
all those song, song, the, all those shows being written right at that moment in the mid late nineties um, that changed everything. Well, that the, the uh, uh, perhaps yes, and also there are other forces like um, uh, American Idol. When you know in the early two thousands, that was something that people talked about a lot. That in the way that like. The cooking shows now. Everyone's now everyone's interested in cooking. Like that's a thing that you do again. With American Idol, people started to sing again, in or maybe not again, but just sort of like it became like really there was so much energy behind it, and so musicals. I think they benefited because people were interested in singing, not in like a rock concert kind of way, but like you know melodic, yeah. controlled theater lyric type songs. So I think musicals recently have been a beneficiary of that interest because it increases just audience interest and then that means you know money and health and and then people start to write within that form again so I would say yeah I mean and there's just such great new work happening all the time all over the place all the time yep yeah it's really neat well thanks for talking to me man this has been very cool I totally dig it thank you thank you for joining us this is Scott Miller now you, too, have achieved stage rock. See you next time.